0: This is Hunter Moulton here with the Breaking Boundaries podcast brought to you by Barbell Apparel. And today we have the pleasure of introducing you to Nick Simmons. He is a high level runner, a collegiate record holder, a world championship silver medalist, two time Olympic qualifier, a social media star, business owner and a pilot. Uh, Nick, how are you doing today, man?
1: Good intro, man. You got it all. I'm great. Thanks.
0: I'm sure with that Swiss Army knife of stuff, we've uh, missed a thing or two that we could talk about as well. But um, it's it's good to have you today, man. We're excited
1: to talk to you. Yeah, good to be here. I love podcasting. I'm glad you guys are doing this. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hopefully we can give our listeners some insight into the things that make high-level athletes such as yourself uh, tick and have success. And maybe learn some lessons the easy way instead of uh, learning them the hard way, as I'm sure you've learned Many of the things you picked up over the years.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I always say, said this before the call, but I'm happy to answer any questions. Nothing's off limits. Uh, we could talk fitness, we can talk mindset, whatever you guys want to know, hit me with it. Yeah, for
0: sure. Just to give our listeners a little bit more background, I have some of your personal records here. You ran a uh, sub four mile at three minutes and 54.9 seconds, which is crazy fast. Um, with the ground speed on that's like something wild, like 15 miles an hour, right?
1: Yeah. You hold it for about four minutes, but 15 miles an hour. Yeah.
0: You're, you're basically like as fast as a, as a moped. Um, <laughs> a, a 47, 45, 400 meter, mm-hmm. a minute around that right before the games, uh, in 2012. Awesome. A, a minute 42, uh, point nine 800
1: meter. Ran that at the games
0: and a three minute thirty-four point five 1500 meters. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Uh, you're a fast guy. Probably one of the fastest in the world
1: i was yeah i mean those times are mostly from 10 years ago i i had my peak in 2012 2013 and ran about three or four more years after that but uh it was a great career i i always wanted to see how good i could be you know i ran in middle school ran in high school ran in college and the chance to run pro was a huge opportunity and i i always kind of thought of it as a lottery ticket i'm like i, I won the genetic lottery now i I get to cash that in every day but I have to, you know, run 10 miles each day to cash the ticket in. So, it was a lot of work but it was, you know, a huge huge blessing just to get to see how good you could be at something if you went all in on it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, to set out and achieve what you did um and see the end result of that culminating in in placing in the world championships and competing at two Olympic games had to be a very validating and rewarding outcome for all of the years of hard work.
1: Yeah, I think it goes to show that consistency and the right mindset, perseverance, you know, goes a long way in anything that you do, whether it's business, whether it's athletics, whether it's your personal relationships, you know, nothing's perfect. Nothing's linear. It's it's going to be a roller coaster and nothing like professional sports and distance running in particular can teach you that. Um, I tried to quit running every season for, 20 straight years, but I kept coming back to it. You know, it's, it's, it's a cruel sport, but if you don't give up and you just keep getting stronger and faster each day, you you know, you can really get somewhere.
0: Yeah. And once you have a taste of the progress and the success and you've kind of like wired your mindset to be dedicated to pursuing something like that, it's probably hard to get out of it Up.
1: Yeah. I mean, I always say distance running is an acquired taste. You know, I don't think anybody that that starts running, like loves it from day one, but you put the work in, whether it's training for your first 5k or training for your first cross country season, you know, you put this mountain of work in and you see how far you come in just a few months. And you're, you're like, gosh, that's addicting. Like my hard work is, really transforming me as a person and you know you just keep doubling down on that and you know whether it's just for a season or two seasons or in my case 20 years that that the addiction is real of Putting hard work in and, and getting a result out. And, you know, running is just such a concrete way to measure that. It's not like basketball, you know, where you got a team around you. This is you on a track, 400 meters and a clock that doesn't lie. And, you know, the, you can break your progress down to the hundredth of a second, to the thousandth of a second in some cases. uh, It's pretty, pretty addicting.
0: Yeah. And the outcome of your competitions usually come down to split times like that, right? Like the tiniest minute details and differences. Um, and I'm sure part of the, uh, The gratifying aspect of it is being able to look back at things earlier in your running career that felt hard, and then at your peak, those things that once felt hard now felt easy. And of course, there's always more progress to be had. But being able to kind of overcome those things that used to used to feel hard to make them feel just kind of like normal every day um, is probably part of what made it feel so addicting.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a famous quote. It's in running and it's in lifting. You know it doesn't get easier. You just get faster. It it doesn't get easier. You just get stronger. So, you know, you're still, I mean, the, the work that I did when I was 13 is very similar to the work I was doing when I was 33, I was just running much, much faster, you know? And so I think that's kind of a frustrating part of it. You know, you're like, when does this get easy? Oh, it's never going to get easy. You just get faster. But I mean, you know, when I was in middle school and high school, I might do my easy runs at like eight minute mile pace, And routinely as a professional, I could just, you know, effortlessly jog around at six minute miles. So, you know, I, it was fun to look back on my training logs from when I was younger and say like, oh my gosh, I thought that was hard at that time, you know? So you, you, you just, again, so concrete, the progress, the, 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 the results. And again, not linear, but over time, you really, really do make leaps and bounds in in improvement.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So just to dive into that a little bit more you know, back when you were 13, you were running eight minute miles for your easy run. Um, and then, you know, further into your athletic career, you're running a six minute mile for an easy run. Um, did you, if you had run an eight minute mile during that period where you could run six, would it, would it have felt easy?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I it would be hard for me to run that slow, to be yeah. honest. You know, I mean, when we were, when we were really fit, you know, just really primed, we could just glide along effortlessly. It, it really was you know i mean if you're really tired like maybe you had a really hard workout you'd come back later that day and just kind of putts around at 8 minute miles but um you know i i remember doing like 14 mile long runs starting at 630 and cutting down to about 530 you know and i wasn't even a distance runner like i was a mid distance runner some of the some of the marathoners can run around at 5 minute pace relatively easily you know i think the world record marathon uh that 2 hour performance by kipchoge was like 417 pace can you imagine running a 417 mile and then doing it 26 times back to back. To I back. can't,
0: I can't, I, uh, I never was much of a runner. And I think the fastest mile I ever ran was somewhere on like around the six minute mark. And that was like, that's great running all out effort. You know what I mean? To be, oh, able yeah. to, to be able to hold below that for a marathon it blows my mind. Uh, but I guess, um, to give our listeners a little bit more context onto kind of how you got into running and what went into the evolution of you as a competitive athlete, Um, what age were you uh, when you started running? How were you introduced to the sport?
1: Uh, I was 13 and going into eighth grade, I had played soccer most of my life, kind of, you know, competitive soccer and a girl I had a crush on said she was going out for the cross country team. And she's like, the practices are co-ed come run with me. I was like, Oh, okay. So, uh, know, I kind of got drawn into it that way, but then I ended up being good at it. And so even though I liked soccer more, I loved being outside with my friends loved just, you know, running through the Hills of Boise, Idaho. And, um, I really liked being good at something. You know, I was a mediocre soccer player, but the first cross country race I ever ran, I just, you know, ran away with it. And people were like, wow, you're really good at this. And that's, that was very addicting as a somewhat insecure 13 year old that wanted to be good at something. Now I had all of a sudden found something that I was naturally very good at.
0: Yeah, I guess, um, Starting in middle school at age 13, is that typical of a high level runner or do they typically start typically start earlier than that?
1: You know, running is one of those things where you can get into it very late in life. One of the guys I made the Olympic team with in 2008, Andrew Weeding, he didn't start running competitively till his senior year of high school. So it's not like, you know, football or baseball, lacrosse, golf, where you're being groomed for this sport from a really, really early age. I think you need to have a background in something, you know, some swimmers uh, have developed their engines and can then transfer to the track. A lot of soccer players, you know, on the Olympic team, you'll see a ton of ex-soccer players. Um, And I think soccer specifically for mid-distance running is is very appropriate for young people because you're developing explosiveness and stamina. And that's really what middle distance running is about. So I do think that my, you know, young days on the soccer pitch helped a lot when I ended up becoming a runner, but uh, you know, 13 in high school, I think is when you really start seeing people middle school and high school coming out for track or cross country for the first time and deciding whether that's the sport for them and you know it weeds out a lot of people there's a lot of people that say hey this just isn't for me uh but the ones that kind of you know get bit by that bug of of you know doing the hard work and then seeing the results um a, a lot of them go on to run in college that, like i did i went to the division three school and ran for Willamette university a lot of them you know get really good and go to a d1 school um, d2 naia juco there's an option i would say this to your listeners. If you want to run in college, there is an option for every single person at every single level.
0: Yeah, that's great. You don't have to be you know, necessarily the best of the best um, to, to make it to college. You can kind of have a number of options as long as I'm assuming you have to be at least somewhat good, right? Like,
1: No, no, you don't. Honestly, no, really? you could be a, a just an absolute turd of a runner and there is a college program for you. So I really mean, it's not like, it's not like basketball, baseball, golf, where like you really, you know, Teams are pretty cutthroat and you have to show a certain amount of like natural ability. No running's open for everybody. You could be truly the slowest runner in the world. And I promise you there's a college program you can go run at. It's just, it's a welcoming sport. Uh, Everybody gets the same amount of playing time on a cross country course. Uh, There's so many different levels, so many different options and so many coaches that just want to develop young talent. They're not necessarily saying I have to win a national title. There are those coaches out there, but they're, for every one of those coaches, there's 10 that just want to help people find fitness and a love for running.
0: Yeah. And I guess within that, um, there's different mediums within running as well. You know, you have middle distance, long distance sprint. And then I've had several people I know that were high caliber athletes in other types of athletics earlier in their life and then got bit by the running bug later in life. And were never particularly fast, but were just tough as hell and decided to do like ultra marathons and ultra distance runnings and things like that. And, uh, you know, they're not, they're not completing those events with a ton of speed, but just completing them at all is yeah. a pretty impressive task. So um, I suppose that no matter what kind of like inclination you have, whether you want to run short distance really fast or do middle distance like you did or do any more formal events or do something more on the fringes, like the ultra ultra running, there's kind of something for everyone in that
1: regard. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, it's such an inclusive sport. You've got, I always loved when I was sitting on, you know, a world team or an Olympic team, like looking to my left and looking to my right. And you'll have a 300 pound guy from Iowa that was raised on a farm throwing shot put. And then you'll have a 90 pound Canyon transplant, you know, naturalized American, and they're on the same team, you know, and uh, it's just incredible the amount of uh, diversity on a track and field team and the fact that there is truly an event for everybody.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so when you started competing at 13, was there a moment when you knew like, Hey, I really want to take this seriously and see how far I can push it. Or did that just kind of evolve naturally as you became better and better at running?
1: Yeah, I think it was really, a you know, a, kind of a slow progress progress between, okay, I don't love this sport, but I'm good at it To Okay. I've, I don't hate this sport and I want to see how good I can get. I would say it really didn't click in my mind until I turned pro. Like running was always this thing that I did uh as kind of ancillary, right? Like I I in high school I played other sports and ran. And then in college I ran, but I was really there to pursue academics. And then um going into my senior year of college I realized I had kind of like a very short window to see just how good I could be. I either needed to ditch running and go all in on pre-med going into medicine, which was what I was studying, or I needed to ditch medicine and go all in on running. And at the age of 21, 22, I thought, I'm only two years out from an Olympic games. Like if I'm ever going to take this risk, I should take it now. And so I did, I kind of went from being a 3.9 student to a 2.6 student, but I also went from being ranked, not even in the top 100 to being ranked number two in the U S in a matter of nine months. And it was just reallocating focus, reallocating resources, time, energy, Uh, but I'm glad I took that risk. And obviously it, you know, dramatically changed the rest of my life. But, uh, when I turned pro, I suddenly fell in love with running because it wasn't this thing that I like had to do every day and had to like move classes around because of it. All I had to do was run. And I was like, is this, am I seriously getting paid to do this now? Like I woke up and between the hours of, you know, 9am and 9pm, all I had to do, all I had to worry about was getting my workout in.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that level of focus is, you know, rewarding in some aspects and very challenging in others, you know, when things maybe don't go your way in training or when you're you're having an off day or or you're tired. Um can you talk us through some of that? Like how did you deal with times when you felt maybe a lack of motivation or mm-hmm. when you weren't progressing in a manner that you wanted to or there were other like kind of unforeseen obstacles coming up?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, one of the, who, I don't know where I saw this, was it Goggins or Cam Haynes or somebody was like, you can't get to where you want to go on motivation because motivation is fleeting. Like, and I'm a motivated guy. Like I knew where I wanted to go, but you are going to run out of motivation. And when you run out of motivation, you need to rely on uh, dedication, you know, structure, diligence, um, determination. I, I, I remember, especially with distance running, just days where I was so tired and didn't want to train, but you know, you get your butt out of bed and you get your workout done. Um, It was, it wasn't always easy, but I just, I just knew that if I pushed through those barriers, pushed through those walls, I'd at least find out what was on the other side. And, and, you know, speaking of, I was pretty durable athlete, so I could kind of like push harder than some athletes that are perhaps more fragile, you know, like I wasn't bogged down by injuries. I was only bogged down by my level of focus. And as a guy who's kind of like spastic ADHD, like that was the biggest challenge for me. But, um, you know, I just knew that I knew that consistency would would get me where I wanted to go, or at least consistency would give me a shot of getting where I wanted to go.
0: Yeah. And so if you know, if you wake up on any given day when you were you know training at this high level um, and you didn't sleep well the night before, or, you know, your body wasn't quite recovered and you weren't able to kind of like execute at necessarily the level you wanted to for that day's worth of training, how would you shift things? Would you do things at a lower intensity? How would you handle
1: that? You know, that's one of the reasons, um, I had this world-class coaching and I, I was really vocal with them about how I was feeling. And some coaches listen to that and make adjustments and some are stubborn and just tell you to do the work. Um, I think my coaches appreciated that with me, I was probably gonna work too hard than not work hard enough. You know, there are athletes that definitely will cut corners. And I think my my coaches really really quickly noticed that I was likely to burn out due to overwork than underwork. And so when I played that card, when I showed up to practice, I said, guys, I am done, I am burnt out, I need a break. They really listened to me and they would give me a day off or change the practice or whatever needed to be done. Um, You know, But these guys, they're so smart. Frank Agliano in in particular, he's, he had coached more middle distance Olympians than anyone else on planet earth. And, you know, when I said coach, I need a day off. He'd be like, all right, get your butt home, you know, get into bed, rest up. If another athlete that maybe wasn't quite as uh, determined or diligent came and said, coach, I need a day off. He'd be like, he was just this, this gruff old guy from New Jersey. He'd be like, shut up and put your spikes on and hit the track, you know? So he, he knew what made an athlete tick. He knew how to communicate with them, knew what they needed to hear. Uh, but for me, it was never a It was never a lack of motivation or determination. Like I was going to do the work. I would run myself into the ground um, because I, the way I saw it, I only had this really, really brief window to actually capitalize on, on the skills that I had. And and the typical, pro, the typical pro track and field career is only two to three years, so, you know, you, you hit it hard, you hope that it materializes, and then you either age out or, you know, injury out or financial reasons, you know, you're out of the sport. Um, two years, I went all in on it as a pro, made the 2008 Olympic team, signed another four year deal with Nike, uh, made the 2012 Olympic team, and then signed a four year deal with Brooks running ran for them for four years. I would have been at the Olympic trials in 16, but I got injured right beforehand. So, uh, that was kind of the writing on the wall for me. I was like, I'm, I'm the grandfather of team USA right now. I need to find something else to do.
0: Yeah. It's crazy that the career windows are so short and I'm sure that factored in kind of like your decision to go after it when you were in college. Right. Cause it's kind of like I can do this now or never. Right. And, and you never would have known what you were capable of. And I mean, you can always go back and go back to college or change your life plan after that. But if you wanted to take advantage of that window to really push your physical boundaries, it was kind of a limited amount of time to do that with.
1: Yeah. Time. We always think of it as like this unfriendly thing that just constantly pushing us and making us uncomfortable. And I think you can reframe your thoughts on time a little bit. Like, if you realize just how limited your time is, you know, and I'm talking about a lifespan, not like, Oh, I don't have time to like work out. I'm talking about like in a lifespan, this is a river that's just going to push you faster and faster and faster. And you need to take advantage when you can. So knowing that I was never going to be younger and more fit than I was coming out of college, like that was an opportunity to go and tackle that goal. Now at 38, I'm recognizing that my body is, you know, not able to do things that it once did. And if there's physical goals that I still want to accomplish, I need to get my butt into the gym and tackle them now. Uh, And so I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, men and women go through this. I'm not calling it a midlife crisis. I'm calling it a midlife recognition of what I'm going to be able to accomplish with the time that I have left. Um, and, and from a physical standpoint, that is a much shorter window than, you know, maybe from a business standpoint or a relationship standpoint. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of like stacking up these physical goals and trying to knock them out one by one while I still have, you know, healthy joints, healthy muscles and, a and, and an appetite to train that hard.
0: Yeah. With your ability and motivation, I'm sure you got plenty of time left ahead of you, but that's a great, great piece of advice to kind of let time be a motivator instead of like this, uh, foreboding thing. Um, you mentioned that you do have some physical goals left. Do you want to talk about what some of those are?
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't run the way I used to. And, you know, everyone's always like, well, why don't you do masters running? Or why don't you train for a marathon? I'm like, I can't, my knees hurt too bad. My hips hurt too bad. Like, I just, I can't run the way I used to. And also it's not very, um, it's not very fun to do the same thing you've been doing over and over and over again. So when I retired, I didn't really know what I was going to get into. You know, I, I was like, well, do I go play? pick up soccer? Do I, you know, go just goof around in the gym. Um, and I did that initially. I kind of went into the gym and just stared at the weights. I didn't really know what to do. And then, uh, you know, kind of putting on, on the pounds and getting frustrated. My, my wife saw me and she's like, why don't you just go down to the local CrossFit gym? I'm like, ah, it's a cult. I don't want to do CrossFit. That's stupid. And she's like, just give it a try. So I dropped into a CrossFit class and I just fell in love with it. And I, I don't think CrossFit's for everybody. And I think there's some things that they do really wrong, but there's enough things that CrossFit does really, really right that for an aging athlete like myself, it is absolutely perfect. I I love the competition side of things. I love how it's structured, how it's gamified. The diversity of movements allows muscles and joints to rest between sessions. And, um, I, I don't know if I would necessarily recommend that young people go all in on CrossFit unless, you know, they absolutely love it, but for aging athletes, it is so good to push yourself that way. It's so good to push yourself past your comfort level. And oftentimes, you know, older athletes aren't willing to do that. They'll go out for an easy run and they'll go and kind of like, you know, phone it in at the gym. But if you want to stay in really good shape, as you get older, you really need to push yourself. And CrossFit is a way to, to, you know, surround yourself with people and coaches and friends that are going to push you.
0: Yeah. And it does have similar elements, kind of the running word. there's a lot of measurable components, right. In terms of yeah. time reps, weight, things like that. Exactly. Um, you can and- see
1: progress, you know, just like I saw progress in running, I see progress in the gym. Um, so I, I think I would really like to be top 10% in my age group, um, for CrossFit. I think I was in like the 70th percentile. So cracking that top 90 would be great. um, that's a goal. And then just a more concrete goal I set for myself two years ago that still combines running and lifting is to deadlift 500 pounds straight into a sub five minute mile. Um, and I spent two years building my deadlift. Uh, it started out at 330 pounds two years ago and I just lifted 495 pounds the other day. So nice. I'm, I'm like, I'm 1% away from 500 pound deadlift. And, uh, I think I could train myself down to a sub five minute mile still, but what a neat challenge it's been to like balance those two energy systems.
0: Yeah, that's uh th- that'd be quite the feat. And uh, I mean, so you said you started off at a three thirty deadlift. That's not bad for it. Did you just pull that cold, never having lifted? Yeah, too much? that
1: was just as a that was literally just as a X runner weighing one hundred and sixty some pounds. You know, I just walked up and just built up, built up, built up, hit three thirty. And then it really, beyond that, it became like studying the, you know, the movement, like how do I get the most leverage? I learned about reverse grip. I learned about, you know, using bands for training. Like it's been quite a process to learn how to do a relatively simple movement, um, at that level, it becomes much more complicated. Like if you, if you would just go into the gym and you deadlift 135 pounds, it's a very simple lift. But when you try to crank out those last few percentage points, those last few pounds, it becomes a much more technical lift and, and you have to do it just right. I injured myself a lot in the early days. Now I'm able to, you know, go out, I lifted really heavy this morning and I feel great. I feel really, really good after big, heavy deadlifts rather than broken. Like I used to.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and probably shows just uh, some of the physical developments that have happened as well to allow you to handle those heavy loads. And yeah, I know all, I, I had quite a stint of powerlifting in my mid twenties, and know all about kind of like working through the different sticking points in the deadlift using bands to kind of like break through the the lower planes of oh, motion. Bands was the higher, huge,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, the the big problem for me when I first started doing it was like the volume, you know, like five by five at 80% of your, of your, of your personal best, that's, I mean, you're just going to run out of grip before you give out. So once I started using figure eights, it's like, oh my gosh, now I can train my legs and my back without having to worry about my grip giving out. But then if you don't train your grip, then, you know, you overpower your legs and your back and you can't even grab onto the bar. I think that for me, you know, bands are a good training tool, but when it comes time to like compete or comes time to do this challenge, I, it would be cheating to not do it naturally. Um, do it. What's it in uh raw? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Powerlifting, not do it raw. Uh, so, you know, it's been, an, it's just been fun to learn about the sport of powerlifting. I entered my first powerlifting competition back in April and was able to put up close to 1100 pounds. So, uh, in how, how body weight? uh one, what it was that about 195 then? That's awesome, man. Yeah. You know, no, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not going to like change, set the world on fire, but for, again, I kind of compare everything with like, five years ago, I weighed 155 pounds and was running middle distance. So like I'm transforming a skinny distance runner's body into a powerlifting crossfitter body. And again, I know how long these things take. I, I think probably looking at about 45, when I hit my, my CrossFit peak, you know, if I was thinking about this trajectory of how long it takes to transform your body and learn all the motions and become comfortable with everything, Um, I'm probably just, you know, barely getting started. I need another decade under my belt before I feel like I'm, I'm really, you know, hitting my peak in my true stride there.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom in that. I think when people get into a new sport, uh, they get so excited about it and they want to go as hard as they can, as fast as they can. Uh, But coming from other athletic pursuits at a really high level, you're able to kind of take a step back and realize that it's going to take time, especially if you want to do it in a way that's healthy and not going to provoke a bunch of injuries and, um, also do it in a way that's sustainable for your age and, and stuff like that. I mean, I think that's a really wise approach to do it. Um, I guess, do you perceive a significant difference in the trajectory it takes you now in your thirties, as opposed to how it might've taken you back in your twenties?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I think the, the biggest difference is that in my twenties, I just never thought about injury. It was like, it's the only thing holding me back is how hard I can grind. Like I'll get tired and burnt out before anything gives out. And now it's the exact opposite. Something's going to give out way before my will or my, you know, motivation, determination gives out. So, you know, at 38, it's really more thinking about, okay, is that going to injure me? You're like, I, I, I need to continue to, to push my, myself and, 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 you know, to grow and, and to just to to improve and get better, but you're constantly thinking about these little aches and pains. And fortunately having been a pro athlete, I I'm pretty good at diagnosing the aches and pains that I can push through and the ones that I can't, but in the back of my mind on every lift, on every run, on, you know, every, everything I do is like, is this going to injure me? Cause an injury at, you know, at any age keeps you out for a substantial amount of time, but an injury at my age, it's going to cost me way too much time
0: yeah for sure and some of that might be more wisdom than actual like biological age playing into that because you mentioned before in you know injuries as an olympic athlete they can be career enders even in your mid-20s right early 20s absolutely Uh, and so they're just as important to to pay attention to back then it's just probably a little bit more boldness and and hubris and feeling invincible when you're that young
1: 100%. Yeah. And again, I was durable. Like a lot of athletes felt that in their 20s. They're like I was always worried about an injury, you know. It's just one wrong step or one bad run away from an injury. And and I was not the most gifted athlete by any means. I, you know, certainly not the fastest, uh certainly not the the most graceful on the track, but I was built like a freaking tank and you could just throw doubles at me seven days a week for 50 weeks straight. And I wasn't going to get injured. And that was my true genetic gift was just being durable as, as all hell. Um, and then, you know, nowadays I, I don't have that. And I'm remembering all my, you know, more fragile runner friends when they used to talk about how they always worried about injuries. And I'm like, Oh, that's what this is like. But, uh, you know, again, being able to vary my training, you know, go in the pool one day, run one day, bike one day in the gym, you know, a few days, like, uh, I can really balance it out. And, and, you know, for anyone out there who's dealing with injuries, there's a million ways to work out. You know, there's no injury that should keep you sidelined. Uh, well maybe there's a couple, but most injuries you can train through in one way or another, you know, if it's a stress fracture, go aqua jog. If you hate aqua jogging, swimming lap, swim laps. If you don't have access to a pool, ride a bike. If you don't have a bike, do yoga. If you hate yoga, do Pilates. I mean, there's really no excuse. Just find something that your body can do consistently, um, vary it up if you need to find something that you enjoy. Uh, and and I think, you know, one of the things that has been so impor- important to us as content creators uh, is that we, project that message that fitness should be fun, you know, and we call all of our content, Hey, this is fun with fitness. I'm not going to yell at you and tell you, you can never take a day off. I'm not going to tell you, uh, that you have to just keep hammering and, you know, go hard or whatever the, the common mantras are. I'm here to tell you that, you know, fitness should be something that you look forward to. It should be something that you find fun. Um, and whatever form that takes, if you like to go play ultimate Frisbee, I think that's awesome. If you like to power lift. I think that's great too. If you just like to go do hot yoga, what a wonderful way to like push yourself in the gym as well. So, uh, there's a million ways to work out and there should be a way that everyone can find a fun, you know, way to stay fit. Yeah. And,
0: and you kind of mentioned that it's centering this conversation around injury and, and how that can like shift your approach to the gym while you might be recovering from one thing or another. Um, It's, I've had this conversation with other athletes I've talked to that, that have been operating at a high level for years. And this is a common thing that comes up with them. Is like, well, you know, if I'm injured, there's still always something else I can work on, you know, like take the deadlift, for example, like, yeah, a lot of it's a raw power lift, but there's a lot of technique to it. And, uh, you know, if you were injured in a way where you couldn't necessarily lift heavy loads, you could focus on the other elements of it, like the form, the explosiveness, Mm -hmm creating better leverage, getting under the bar more, uh, especially with other, like, you know, the Olympic lifts and CrossFit, like, so I, you know, I had a brief stint with CrossFit too. And I was, I was fairly strong and I could kind of like brute force my way into some like heavy cleans and heavy snatches. But the people that were really good were not yeah. stronger than me. They were just way, way better. You know what I mean?
1: I mean, when you watch a 140 pound girl, you know, do a, a perfect squat snatch and she's, you know, snatching twice what i'm able to do at 195 yeah. pounds you're like this is a technical lift yeah. you know the squat snatch for sure clean and jerks you know not quite as much but but definitely still technical um once i wrap up this 500 pound deadlift 500 or five minute mile uh project i think moving into the olympic lifts is is probably they're, they're my two weakest lifts and the two that i most desperately want to be good at so yeah. I'll, I'll move into an olympic cycle for a while
0: yeah, my weakest lifts for sure are also the Olympic lifts. And I feel like it's really that ability to snap under the bar with speed. Uh, that was the most challenging thing for me and probably would take the longest time to develop just that ability to, you know, yeah. if you if you watch in slow motion of like a really high level Olympic lifter, like they probably only pull the bar half as high as I would off the ground and are just able like, like lightning to be able to just like snap under it and uh, execute the lift like that.
1: Yeah, I can't do it. I, a lot of it's mobility for me. I'll have to like rehab my body and and get some mobility to be able to do it. But watching those lifts, uh, you know, just when somebody does it just perfect and that bar just hovers there and they go so fast underneath it, it's a thing of beauty.
0: Yeah, it really is. Um, you've mentioned several times that you were a really durable athlete. Do you think that was mostly just down to genetics or determination or were there anything special you were doing for nutrition recovery or anything else to like fuel that durability?
1: Yeah, I wish I could say I was just super good at the little things and I was diligent with massage and stretching and ice bathing and I did those things but I think it was mostly genetic. I think um there were guys that were way better at recovery and prehab than I was and um I think I was just built like a tank. You know, I I just my body recovered quickly. Um it liked to run and you know, the sad part is that when the injury started creeping in, they crept in fast, you know, like towards the end of my career, 32, 33, it was like one thing would start to hurt and then everything would start to hurt. And so it was like, oh, I'm used to dealing with my left ankle hurting, but now my right knee hurts and my right hip hurts. And, you know, it was like the whole chain was falling apart. And that's when I really knew that I needed to retire because, you know, dealing with one little issue here or there is very manageable. Dealing with four or five issues is not sustainable.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And, you know, now that you are pursuing other athletic endeavors and taking this approach where you know that you don't want to be injured and you want to be in it for the long haul. I mean, you mentioned, even with your CrossFit goals, like you think your peak will be seven years from now. um, Do you have a different approach or focus to those recovery elements like massage, stretching, nutrition, sleep?
1: Uh, i've always been a sleep champion so like my number one w- r- number one rule of training as a pro athlete was never ever wake up to an alarm clock and i still live by that motto day i'm in bed at 8 p.m every day just to make sure that i don't have to wake up to an alarm clock because i think sleep's probably the number one thing you can do when it comes to recovery i mean eating healthy helps ice bathing's great massage is great but if you're not sleeping you're cheating yourself out of recovery and it's like the easiest recovery ever right you're just laying there not <laughs> sleep it's not hard. So, um, I wouldn't say that I've gotten a lot better at recovery, but, um, I, I do the things that I know I need, if that makes sense. You know, I don't have a massage therapist anymore. Um, but I also don't really need that. I do ice bath still. I I really believe in ice bath for anti anti anti-inflammation, um, and then just eat healthy and sleep as much as I can. Yeah. You kind
0: of glossed over it, but, uh, sleep is easy, but I'm sure most people would have Challenges trying to get in bed consistently at eight o'clock.
1: You know, it's just priorities, right? I, I don't. I hate bars. I hate clubs. I hate crowds. So, like, that's not attractive to me. I love being up at four a.m. or five a.m. and like uh, sitting in my hot tub and stretching a little bit and going for a walk and like the quiet hours of the morning. So, you know, to each their own. It's actually really interesting. I saw this study about like how human biological clocks are so different, and like some people physically can't bring themselves to work out in the morning. Like they just can't get their body awake and they have to work out in the afternoons. If you asked me, you know, to work out in the afternoon, I probably would skip it six days out of seven. I hate working out in the afternoons, but I love working out in the morning. So this, there's no right, wrong, like like, like when I said, there's no right or wrong way to work out, you know, find what works for you from a activity standpoint, it's the same thing when it goes to timing. Like if you look, if you hate working out in the morning, then don't work out in the morning, just work out in the afternoon. And similarly, if you hate working out in the afternoon, work out in the morning, but don't fight your natural clock. Don't fight your natural biorhythms. Just figure out who you are, how, how you work out best, and then just live that life. I know that if I don't get up and work out in the morning, it's not going to happen. So I make decisions the night before to make sure that I get up in time to get my workout in.
0: Yeah, no, that's great advice. Um if you were to give our listeners like maybe the single biggest piece of advice you could in in terms of like pursuing um whatever athletic hobby that they're into, whether that's powerlifting or running or crossfit, um do you have a piece of advice you think kind of like rings true above all
1: uh as they're as they're just getting into it or as they're like trying to really pursue it? As they're trying to really pursue it? Yeah, boy, that's a great question. Um, so, whenever you decide you want to be good at something, it, it's it's like it's very easy to get excited about something. It's very easy to say I'm going to be great at this. It's really hard to then move all the other things in your life around to make that a priority. You know, so for example. I remember in in college, like running was probably number three, maybe four on my list of priorities. It was like family, school, social life, running. And I ran well, but not nearly as well as when I moved that number four priority into the number one spot. I made a conscious decision. I said, if I'm going to find out how good I'm going to be at this sport, if I'm going to become an Olympian, I have to move it to number one, which means time with family is going to suffer, my social life is going to suffer, my academics are going to suffer. I knew that was going to happen when I made that decision, but that's that's the conscious decision that I made to do what we're talking about, which is you know go all in on something or or, or, or pursue something to a higher level. If you're not willing to make the sacrifices, if you're not willing to reallocate your time and energy, then all you're doing is just getting excited about something and wishing that you could be great at it. You are going to have to make sacrifices and have to make lifestyle changes to really find out how good you can be at anything, at anything you want to be great at, whether it's business, you know, family, relationships, sport. If you want to really be great at one thing, you really have to make sacrifices for it
0: yeah that's great advice. And I think the the thing that people could think about within that is you know if you're not a professional athlete, maybe your athletic endeavors don't need to be number one and sacrifice everything else below that. But where in kind of like that hierarchy of things that are important to you, do you want it to fall? You know, whether yeah. whether you know your family and career need to come first and that then your athletics can come third or whatever that looks like for you. I think just having that level of self-awareness um to be able to determine where you need to prioritize it is great advice. Because I think a lot of times what happens is that people may not think about that at all. And then you know, they have this hobby they want to pursue or these athletics they want to pursue, and because that thought process has never happened. Uh, they don't even know where they should be prioritizing it, I and mean, may never even like look at elements like sleep or getting up early to kind of get their workouts in and stuff like that. So, no, I think that's that's really awesome advice.
1: Yeah. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy, but that it's also kind of like a cheat code. If you want to really rise above, like if you make those sacrifices, you're doing things that 99% of other people aren't willing to do. Um, you know, running was a really quick teacher of that for me is that if I'm willing to go to bed at 8 PM, I'm, I'm automatically like separating myself from 99% of other people, my age who, who are, are not willing to do that. Um, you know, and so I just saw all of these little sacrifices is not so much being sacrifices as opportunities to get where I wanted to go. But, you know, I, I, I'm not saying you need to quit your job and and like leave your family to go pursue what you need to do. Just if you want to be great athlete, maybe you move, uh, sleep to a slightly higher priority, or maybe you move diet, you know, nutrition to a slightly higher priority, not saying you have to quit your job, but like, go to bed early so you can get your workout in before work. You know, that's a small change that can make a huge difference.
0: Yeah, and in terms of that, you know, you you could be sacrificing relatively minor things, right? Like sacrificing, you know, TV shows at night or something in exchange for that athletic achievement that's gonna bring you a lot more satisfaction um, and, and still be able to prioritize the other things like work and family. Uh, and I, I do wonder how much of your durability was due to the fact that as a college kid, you were able to get yourself in bed at eight o'clock at night when probably a lot of other people were, um,
1: Maybe not seven nights a week, but yeah, Sunday through Friday, I would Sunday through Thursday, I was, I was asleep and everyone'd be like, come on, we're going out. I'm like, I'll see you Saturday. Like, yeah. I, I've got priorities. And, um, you know, even as a pro, Saturday nights, I'd shut down the bars. You know, I was, I was out till 2am. So I, still, I think you still need to have balance in your life. You still need to be able to press that reset button once in a while. But, you know, what are you doing 90% of the time? What are you doing consistently? Uh, that's allowing you to, to, to be reaching the goals that you've set for yourself.
0: And so now you juggle a lot, right? You have family, you have a business, you have your social media presence, you have these other athletic endeavors. How do you prioritize your athletic pursuits now? And, um, how do you make sure that you're able to squeeze the time and how do you orchestrate that throughout your day?
1: Well, one thing that's nice is that my primary job is as a fitness influencer, right? So like I can justify spending 3 hours at the gym as like, oh, I'm working right now. And and it is to a certain extent, but like just me working out isn't really working, but making content while I'm working out that of certainly is working. Um so I think that's helpful. I've got a great team around me. You know, my wife, she's amazing. She's very understanding. I've got uh three guys I'm surrounded by here that that help me make great content. So Um, I've always recognized that it takes a team. You know, I I was really vocal when I was running in the Olympics. I said, Hey, you guys see me out on the track for a minute and 40 some seconds. But what you don't see is the 10 people, the 20 people that helped me get here. You know, I mean, any Olympian that you meet will have a team of five to 10 or more people that are with them every single day or every single week, helping them be great. Um, and so I kind of carried that mentality with me into my YouTubing and and social media career is like, I, I'm good at some things and I'm bad at a lot of others. And I need to find people who are really good at the stuff that I'm bad at. Uh, I am a YouTuber that will hit a million subscribers here in the next few, few months. Um, I don't know how to edit video, you know, so really quickly I needed to fix that problem. Um, I'm a terrible producer, it turns out. Like I'm not great at production. So I've got these guys helping me with production now. And it's been been huge. Um, just you know, identify your weaknesses and and then find people that that are good at those things and build a team.
0: Yeah, that's that's great advice. And if you don't have the the resources to build like a professional team, I'm sure you could lean on friends, family, and other people that are maybe into the same stuff as you to kind of like create that team on a on like a more informal basis and still kind of lean on other people to be good at what you might not be. Absolutely. Um, well, Nick, it's been great chatting with you today. Before we go, why don't you give us a little bit rundown on this uh, headband you're wearing? What is RunGum?
1: RunGum. Yeah. So it's a, a company I started actually when I was ranked number two in the world, 2014. Um, I've been drinking these energy drinks to try to get myself amped up for practices and, and uh, races. And you know, having a heavy acidic liquid sloshing around in your stomach while you're trying to run or lift is like the last thing you want. So I figured out that we could put caffeine, taurine, B vitamins, the ingredients that are commonly found in energy drinks into a piece of chewing gum. And so now you can chew the gum, absorb those stimulants sublingually and bypass your stomach. And so there's no indigestion, nothing heavy to slow you down, just the stimulants you want to go kick butt and, Know, kind of took off. We started it uh, as like a a running product for runners, but then people from all walks of life appreciated this, you know, really handy product. So it's sold in Target, Walmart, um, CVS, Amazon, every running specialty store you can think of. Um, I was the CEO for seven years, and I recently hired a CEO to manage the company so that I can focus on content creation, which I think is my number one passion.
0: Awesome. And if our listeners want to find,
1: and follow you or RunGum, where should they look? Uh, anywhere on social. I'm at Nick Simmons and RunGum is at RunGum.
0: Awesome. We'll put the links in the show notes as well so that people can find you. Uh, Nick, thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. It's been awesome getting a look at your life, uh, your, your history as an athlete and kind of like the way you think about everything. It's always really rewarding and interesting to kind of be able to pick the brain the brains of athletes that perform at a high level um and especially someone like you that's been able to kind of like pivot out of athletics into a bunch of other stuff successfully and kind of like take those lessons you learned from being a high level athlete and apply those to other areas uh congrats man on all the success and um, thanks for being here today
1: hey my pleasure thanks for the great questions